Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and the why. This is the show of the weekend of September 11th through September 13th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So hope everyone's hanging in there. We've got some numbers for Tenet domestically, as well as Mulan's premiere in China. Uh, to be honest, neither are doing that well. But before we get to those, we have some new movie dates to talk about. So, like I mentioned last week, Tenet's numbers in North America were underwhelming, to say the least, last weekend. As such, Warner Brothers has taken the expected move of delaying their other major blockbuster of the year, Wonder Woman 1984. It is moving from its October 2nd release date to December 25th, a Christmas holiday release, in the hopes that there will be more of an appetite to see movies in theaters by then. In addition, with Paramount's Top Gun Maverick sequel moving to 2021, there was space in December for a major tentpole release. Aquaman did pretty decently in December of 2018, so there is potential here for a big you know, superhero film to do well. Uh, in addition, with LA and New York not yet being open, uh, Warner is probably hoping that those markets will reopen soon and have several weeks to help tenants' numbers without having to compete with Wonder Woman. Uh, the big surprise in this announcement is that Dune, the Denis Villeneuve-led adaptation of Frank Herbert's classic sci-fi novel, is still sticking to the December 18th date, uh, just one week before Wonder Woman. Uh, you got to wonder what the strategy here is. Uh, Warner's rationale is that they think that there is enough space in the holiday season that they can potentially support two tentpole films, um, or more than one, to be precise. Uh, that's not entirely untrue. We definitely have seen uh, cases where f- there have been more than one major films coming out, um, but we've never really seen this strategy before uh, from two films from the same studio at the same time, and we've definitely never seen it uh, when consumers sentiment for wanting to go to the theaters is so low due to the pandemic. Uh, my guess is the real reason lies to the distribution situation. Now, in the past on this show, we've generally talked about production and distribution being coming from the same uh, company. Uh, this is especially true when it comes to the large studios, such as Warner Media. Um, however, the actual production company here is Legendary Pictures. Warner Brothers is only distributing Dune uh, for what I can find is just essentially a flat fee. So they aren't really incentivized to find the absolute best date for Dune to release, especially when they're considering that they have their own productions to worry about, i.e. Wonder Woman. Uh, My guess is that Warner is trying to figure out a date that is agreeable with Legendary Pictures, but they wanted to, you know, get the news out that Wonder Woman uh, is going to move uh, sooner rather than later. Or maybe they made this move of Wonder Woman uh, to preemptively apply pressure to Legendary to try to convince them to allow them to move Dune to another date. Uh, we'll see if Dune continues on as counter programming for Wonder Woman or if it ends up moving. Uh, it is, I think, one of Warner Brothers uh, and especially um, Legendary's major push for the Oscars this year, especially in, at least in the, in the technical categories. Uh, so, you know, they definitely wanted to get out before the uh, end of February uh, deadline for eligibility for the Oscars. Um, you know, I, I have seen some media being confused uh, by how Dune is a different kind of blockbuster. Um, so hopefully it finds its niche and isn't, you know, mistaken for just another Marvel uh, action blockbuster. 
another movie that's moved dates is the Universal MGM horror film Candyman, uh, directed by Nia DaCosta and produced by Jordan Peele. Uh, originally set for October 16th, it has been moved from that scheduled date to be moved to sometime to be determined in 2021. Uh, we also have STX moving their apocalyptic thriller Greenland from September 25th to uh, TBD date in Q4 of this year. Uh, Greenland actually has already opened up in 13 markets uh, for 12.5 million US so far. Again, this makes sense uh, for both films given the appetite for consumers to see films in theaters domestically right now. So that leaves the next major studio release in theaters to be on October 23rd with Disney slash 20th Century's Death on the Nile, which is a sequel to the 2017th Henry Poirot adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express. And then Sony has the animated film Lord, produced by Lord and Miller, uh, Connected, uh, also coming out on October 23rd. I'm 50-50 on Disney actually deciding to keep Death on the Nile in place. While its predecessor did make a decent profit, it wasn't exactly gangbusters, and it would be a little bit nice injection for Disney in a time when they're aching for revenue. Also, it's not like a a core Disney brand property. Uh, They did, after all, let Fox's New Mutants go as a sacrificial lamb when theaters first reopened, just to get it out out there. Uh, Connected, I could see Sony putting on VOD since it's an animated film aimed toward families and films like Trolls World Tour have already tried that and seem to have some degree of success. Um, You know, there are a couple of smaller studio openings on 9th and 16th, but honestly, you know, those are kind of unhinged level type films. Uh, So they're not going to be, you know, worth discussing that much until they actually do release. Anyway, after uh, Connected and Death on the Nile, the next film up in the release calendar really considering is Disney's Black Widow on November 6th, followed by MGM's No Time to Die, the the newest James Bond film, and Pixar's Soul on November 20th. Um, And then there's a super crowded December 18th with the aforementioned Dune, uh, 20th Century's West Side Story, Paramount's Coming to America. Um, Disney Black Widow, I see Disney moving back to February 12th uh, and setting up the domino of MCU films being pushed back i don't think they want to be you know back again and testing the waters um you know uh, after how how tenet performed um you know while some are arguing that given disney has been somewhat bullish on the uh mulan experiment with disney plus i think they're extra protective of the mcu if it were just a standalone film maybe it could go to theaters because if disney needs the money but I really think they want to keep the franchise in theaters so that whenever a sense of normalcy returns and we want to see movies in theaters, people aren't used to the idea of, oh, Black Widow will just come to streaming or the next Eternal, uh, Marvel film will just come to streaming. I think they definitely are going to want to uh, keep Marvel in uh, the uh, in, in the theaters to, to make those billion-dollar films. Um, that said, I don't know if they'll delay it beyond the February date, because I think the other consideration for Disney's calculus here is, you know, are they having it stay in consciousness? You I mean, at this rate, right, like, what was the last, the last real Avengers film was, uh, I guess, Spider-Man Far From Home, technically speaking, uh, which came out in summer of 2019. So, you know, by the time, Black- we're already a year, a solid year without a a mainline MCU film in theaters. Um, and, you know, I don't think they'll go for two years, um, you know, with, with that with that kind of uh, time lapsing between films. Uh, let's see, where was I? Um, now, you know, I... I, I 
do see that Soul is a little bit more likely uh, to go to Disney+, Plus. but given that Pixar films do well overseas, generally speaking, it, that may not be a sure thing, especially if international theaters are open and doing better business. I mean, that's the numbers we'll see later with Tenet. Um, maybe a Disney Plus release uh, in the US only, but in an international release in markets, as opposed to here where international release was also Mulan uh, for Mulan in Disney Plus, unlike, except if, if Disney Plus was not in the market. Um, they may kind of you know demarcate that a little bit further. I do see a similar situation here with the you know U.S. situation in, te- in theaters and international films being better. I see some tension there with when it comes to the thinking out what's going to happen for No Time to Die. Um, that's being released by MGM or more accurately United Artists uh, here in the States and then Universal is doing distribution overseas. Given that the international markets are a little bit better right now, and given that Bond generally does about three to four times as much abroad as it does here domestically, the only real blocker to Bond coming out in theaters, I think, would be MGM throwing a fit that they're getting screwed over by, you know, be being stuck with the U.S. market. Um, you know, maybe they decide that you know they'll push Bond uh, live internationally, but maybe not in the U.S. until December, maybe. But then they they would have to end up competing with Wonder Woman at that point. So, who really knows? Um, we'll keep we'll keep a track on things if and as they move. All right. So enough for the release dates. What did this week's numbers look like for the domestic box office? Uh, Tenet is of course on top of the charts and given the movies open that we've seen you know just talking about now it'll likely stay on top of the charts for at least the next month and a half if not two to three months Um, it made 6.7 million dollars in 2,910 theaters for per theater average of 2,302 dollars total domestic thus far is 29.5 million Uh, that's a steep 67% drop versus the last week reported numbers though remember last week numbers were actually you know the 11 day total from August 28th, starting in Canada only. So Warner did announce that there was a 29% week-over-week drop domestically within the three-day period. So that looks a little bit better. You know, generally, first-week drops are somewhere in the 50 to 60 range. This is somewhere, you know, in the 30s, 30, high, high 20s range. So that's pretty good. Uh, and by that, we can actually see that Tenet made only about $9.4 million last three-day weekend across both U.S. and Canada, which kind of explains the panic uh, that, uh, this, that, that Warner Brothers had after seeing, you know, those numbers. Um, 29% drop, not the worst, but on such low opening raw numbers, it's it's going to be a long ways till it gets to $100 million domestically, if that. Um, I'm seeing estimates probably in the 60 to 80 million domestic range, which, you know, seems pretty depressing. Uh, you know, numbers were helped by it opening in some LA drive-in theaters. Again, New York and SF largely remain closed, as do many, if though not all, uh, LA theaters. Um, you know, the top, you know, even just on a couple of theaters being open, LA was uh, the highest, you know, one of the highest market for the film this weekend. So, you know, this kind of goes to show that New York and LA have an outsized impact on uh, box office and them being closed is a real detriment. And really, I think, again, plays into the calculus on pushing back Wonder Woman at this point. Uh, worldwide, Tenet has hit 207 million from 30 million overseas this weekend. Uh, 10 million of that coming from China, where it came in third, dropping about 65% week over week. Uh, Tenet is now currently the fifth highest grossing film of 2020 and Warner's highest grossing film of the year, ahead of Birds of Prey. 
So uh, in number two at the domestic box office, we see The New Mutants, 2 million in 2,704 theaters, a negative 31% drop with a per theater average of $773. In uh, number three is Unhinged at 1.5 million in 2,365 theaters with an amazing 16% drop per theater average of $641. Now, this is kind of interesting because normally when you see per theater average of below, you know, $1,000, you know, even more likely less than $2,000, uh, you'd see movies starting to set theaters, um, but, you know, in much less staying in over 2,000 theaters. However, you know, those drops are really good, actually, uh, and so would encourage theaters to keep them in there. I think that's the more important play here, especially consider that theaters don't really see any additional films coming out again in the next couple of months. So I'm thinking we'll probably see these three in the top five until at least Wonder Woman comes out. Uh, and number four, we have a new opening. The Selena Gomez produced film, The Broken Hearts Gallery, uh, opened from Sony uh, to $1.1 million in 2,204 theaters for a per theater average of 510. Uh, with an 8 million budget, I think they're going to hope to break even here. Um, though if New York reopens and LA widens out a bit more, I think it could, it'll probably get there and profit a bit. Um, you know, definitely a lot of people said it kind of felt like a Netflix film, uh, which isn't speak doesn't speak volumes about it but um you know that is still numbers to report and then finally in fifth place we have the third week of bill and ted face the music uh with just under three hundred thousand for a 62 percent drop in 807 theaters again this was a vod day and date release so it had a lower number of theaters since amc wouldn't run this uh since it broke you know the theatrical windows um and yeah you know that is a pretty steep drop from you know number four one million to you know a third of that and number five yeah. Also, I can't find numbers from my usable sources, but a Twitter user I trust reported that Deadpool opened in 18 theaters, uh, most likely part of a double feature with New Mutants, and that it was able to gross 3,333 per theater average, which, you know, again, Tenet was about a... Uh, about a 2,300 uh, 2, per theater average. So, you know, Deadpool is the highest per theater average of films in the U.S. right now, which is kind of wild. Um, get us the next, you know, R-rated Disney MCU film with Deadpool with Disney. Um, okay, so total box office for this week looks to be about 12 million total across all films. That is less than one-tenth of what was taken home this week last year in 2019 uh, when we made $110 million. Uh, for comparison, the top films this week last year was uh, $39 million to the second week of It Chapter 2, and then the first week of Hustlers made $33 million. So you know, at the very least, Tenet did beat out Goldfinch, which premiered this uh this, this week last year, uh, which premiered at number eight uh, to $2.7 million, though, uh, I guess not, not by too much considering, you know, the expectations of these films. So one other thing that's actually interesting on domestic numbers that Sony and Warner with their new releases are choosing to obscure the numbers that get seen in industry platforms such as Comscore that release numbers on an hourly and geo basis over the weekend. They're only really giving top line numbers to media outlets like Deadline. Uh, this may be a strategic move on their part to try and leverage the risk that they're taking. So they're taking a risk in, in releasing movies right now. And clearly, it's not really paying off from a box office perspective um, in terms of gross revenue. Um, but they're trying to get some leverage, I think, by, you know, by keeping this information from the other studios um, and trying to figure out 
you know, you know, these theaters uh, and these markets are doing well at these times of day to help with, you know, strategizing when and where to open films. I mean, the other part is obviously they want to control the narrative and, you know, mainstream media who don't follow box office tend to overblow things. And, and that would definitely hurt, I think, uh, these films in the long run. So this is them trying to control the narrative to make sure that these films have long as long legs as possible. Um, Deadline speculates that this kind of obfuscation will go away once New York and L.A. open. But who knows? We'll just have to see. All right, so the other big news this weekend was Disney's Mulan premiered in China, and it premiered again last week on Disney Plus uh, in you know other regions around the world, as well as some in theatrical places where Disney Plus was not open. Um, that was about seven point four million in the international markets last week, um, and the and while the domestic uh, Disney Plus numbers seemed positive overall, to the point that Disney CFO commented that those you know they were pretty happy with the numbers. Though I'm going to take those with a grain of salt. I I have reasons to believe that you know even if they break even they're not going to make a profit on this um you know as we noted last week there was a lot of controversy in the west uh with regard to the Xinjiang province uh you know ministry getting credited because of the Uyghur situation in China and human rights violations I mean there was also generally poor reception overall especially among Asian American audiences here in the states um yeah one note is that it looks like the 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 footage captured in Xinjiang um you know really just sort of in the background for like about a minute in the film and it's giving you Disney this huge headache so you know definitely not worth it and I think it doesn't really end there so you know, about a year ago, co-chairman of Walt Disney Studios, Alan Horn, said that if Mulan does not work in China, we have a problem, uh, we being Disney. And it looks like Disney has a problem. Uh, before we even get to the numbers it did this weekend, these subjective markers all paint a pretty bleak picture. Um, the Chinese equivalent of Rotten Tomatoes, Mao Yan, has it at a 7.8 out of 10. A com- comparison, the live-action Aladdin remake made 9.0, uh, Cinderella made 8.5, and Beauty and the Beast had 8.2. Um, you know, and and then the more younger urban crowd on Duban, I think, had like a 4.9 out of 10, which is terrible. Um, one state newspaper, the Global Times, uh, noted how unpopular the film was uh, in China, not because of Western criticism, which they seemed that you know they said you know Chinese people don't really care about, but more about they say that it's quote it is just poor art level, it showcases and misunderstandings of Chinese culture that disappointed the market. End quote. So given Hollywood's recent success with Asian American films, which I'm really happy about, don't get me wrong, Crazy Rich Asians and Farewell and even Searching to some degree, doing decent numbers at the domestic box office really makes me happy. However, when you look at the international numbers, those films, which, you know, at the very least Crazy Rich Asians and The Farewell, take place in China, or at least Singapore for Crazy Rich Asians, uh, take place in Asia with a lead Asian cast, and those did terribly in China because it's an American perspective on what it means to be Asian or Asian American, which doesn't really resonate with Chinese audiences. Um, I think that highlights differences between Asian and Asian American narratives. Uh, the original Mulan, in my opinion, is inherently an Asian American film. Uh, the directors and writers were all American, and they imparted American values within the story and character of Mulan, as well as just how it's structured, you know, with Musu and the songs and all that. The directive of the new Mulan film seems to have been, you know, from Disney higher ups, thread the line between appealing to both the American audience, who would have nostalgia for the original, as well as to the lucrative Chinese box office market, uh, you know, which alone this year has three other Mulan films. It's kind of the equivalent of Robin Hood or King Arthur, which has been done to death. 
So, you know, their strategy here was let's try to incorporate elements of a wuxia film, you know, kind of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, as well as, you know, the traditional Disney live-action remake storytelling model. Well, they did. They they didn't really do either fully correctly. They introduced the key and the you know the powers, but they fundamentally misunderstood how that kind of appears in Chinese you know folklore, so to speak. You know, qi is something that everyone has in China, whereas in the film, it's something only the chosen ones have, right? Um, and that's this one example of how you know they didn't really do either the Western film to to appeal to the Western audience or the Wuxia film elements correctly. You know, don't half-ass two things until you can do whole-ass one thing, right? Uh, what doesn't help also is that this version of Mulan had zero Chinese writers or even Chinese-American or Asian-American writers among the four writers, and they also had a non-Chinese director. Um, the original 1998 film, granted, wasn't that much better, but at the very least, they had Rita Xiao, uh, the daughter of Chinese immigrants as a credited writer on the original film. If films written and directed by Asian American writers set in China don't do well in China, how can you expect to get away with spreading American values in a Chinese setting uh, without any Asian production staff or Asian American production staff behind it? You know, it's not enough to have Asian talent in front of the screen to avoid white, you know, a whole whitewashing controversy, which at the very least I'm glad they avoided that. But you do need the talent behind the camera and the writing room to really appreciate the cultural nuances of writing of, of making a film for the Chinese market. You know, look at Kung Fu Panda. While granted the credited writing staff there isn't exactly, you know, uh, fully Asian, it's very obvious they did a lot of research and immersion into Chinese culture when setting up the film and they paid, you know, or, you know, even not even a film adaptation, but Avatar The Last Airbender for a television version kind of really shows that they pay a lot of attention uh, to these films. Now, Kung Fu Panda is a lot more relevant because, you know, Chinese audiences there said, you know, wow, they made a, this American film, they're the Chinese film about China better than some Chinese films did. So, I don't know. Uh, you know, one other thing is like, you know, they even borked the casting of Liu Lifei as Mulan. You know, granted, I think they're trying to go for the fact that she's supposedly very popular in China. But what they didn't understand is that the reason she's popular isn't because of her acting chops. Apparently, she won three Chinese equivalents of the Razzie Awards for her acting in recent years. It's mostly because of her beauty and her looks, right? And apparently, you know, her identifying as Asian American as opposed to Chinese American, which is apparently, you know, a big distinction over in China, isn't really doing her favors. So... Anyway, let's get down to the hard numbers. Mulan opened to 23 million US dollars in China, which is way below the estimate of 45 million dollars I quoted last week. Uh, this is about the same number as Maleficent Mistress of Evil did and comes in just below Tenet's 30 million take last weekend. And while it did open at number one, it did so just barely. Um, the 800, which has been killing it in China, in its fourth weekend made 21.3 million with a 34% drop. Um, and Tenet came in as noted before with 10 million uh, in its second weekend. Uh, Mulan's current estimates for its total run in China is looking to be about 41 million US dollars. We'll see how it drops week over week. I don't expect it to hold particularly well. Currently, Mulan is at 37.6 million across all markets in theaters, plus whatever they made on Disney Plus. Um, this includes an 1.8 million open in Russia this weekend. 
Um, and also a quick note on the 108, it looks like it's got a month extension on its run and will likely break into China's top 10 films all time, currently at a total of 387.2 million to date. Uh, who knows, maybe it could get close and maybe even surpass Bad Boys of Life to be the top grossing film of the year, uh, which would be a banner year that the top grossing film uh, in you know all of the world is a Chinese film. That would be a first, I think. Now, I think the main takeaway from Mulan is that Disney, and frankly Hollywood in general, really needs to rethink its approach to China when it comes to dealing to portraying China and centering stories around China that hope to have Western appeal. Um, and while they've made strides in Asian American representation, I don't really know if they've cracked the code on how to do Asian representation. Um, and especially, you know, this especially applies to not just in front of the camera, but also behind it uh, and in the writing room. Now, one hopeful light on that front, uh, the Venice Film Festival opened this past was this past weekend, and Chloe Zhao's film, and Chloe Zhao is a Chinese national, um, though she does primarily work in the uh, American film industry and, and on American audience, and American film centered around Americana, um, you know, her film Nomadland, starring Frances McDormand, snagged the Golden Lion, the Venice Film Festival's top prize, kind of the equivalent of Cannes Palme d'Or. Uh, this is significant because for the past three years, the winner of the Golden Lion has been gone on to be nominated for many Oscars, including Best Picture, uh, The Shape of Water in 2017, which won Best Picture, uh, Roma in 2018, which was you know considered you know kind of the probable runner-up for Best Picture, and then Joker in 2019, last year, which as you know went to be a major box office hit. In fact, all three films you know I just mentioned led in number of nominations in their respective years, with over ten nominations to, uh, per year. Um, they all nom- got a nomination for director, best actor, actor or actress as applicable, uh, screenplay adapted or original as applicable, cinematography at least one production or costume award, and various sound categories. Um, this is all in addition to best picture. Um, you know. This has actually gone on to push Chloe Zhao and Nomadland to be betting pools in the betting pools to be number two behind David Fincher's Mank uh, for Best Picture and Best Director odds, uh, which you know Mank has yet to be released later this year. Um, you know, Oscar nominations also generally help uh, give the so-called Oscar boost when nominated films get a re-release or a boost to their numbers um, after getting nominated and winning some early awards. This is 1917 this past year, so you know we're looking. I'm looking for definitely looking forward to seeing uh, how Chloe Zhao's film does uh, when it releases. Uh, I believe wide uh, December 4th uh, here in the states, or maybe it's limited release. I think. Um, hopefully, New York will be open. I definitely want to see this one. The other significant factor is that this that Chloe Zhao is actually going to be the direct is actually the director of the next Marvel film after Black Widow, The Eternals. So, presuming Black Widow gets delayed to November and The Eternals to May, if and when Ms. Zhao gets nominated for Oscar for the Oscars, Marvel will definitely use that as part of the marketing for The Eternals. You know, brought to you by the Oscar-nominated director Chloe Zhao, right? And who knows? Maybe it goes on to be you know a, a cultural hit, kind of like Parasite this last year was, and you know by the director who brought you Nomadland, right? Uh, in any case, if you're more interested in, in box office stuff, I still haven't restarted, or in Oscar award stuff, I haven't restarted my award season podcast, um, the Oscars Death Race podcast that's coming back uh, next year in February. But I'm, make sure you subscribe to that feed for whenever I do come back. I'm definitely going to be talking about Nomadland. 
speaking of other Asian-related Disney properties, uh, the Marvel movie after the Eternal, Shang-Chi and uh, the Ten Rings, I'm looking a little bit more confident in doing well as opposed to Mulan, uh, partly because of, as I mentioned, it has actually Asian and Asian-American uh, staff behind uh, the camera. Uh, in addition to starring Canadian Chinese Simu Liu and Hong Kong legend Tony Leung, uh, it is actually going to be directed by Japanese American Des- Destin Daniel Credden, uh, who's most known for his work with Brie Larson, aka Captain Marvel, and also written by Chinese American writer uh, David Callahan, who w- co wrote The Expendables, Zombieland Dabble Tap, and Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, he's also currently working on the upcoming sequel to Spider Man Into the Spider-Verse, which bodes well. So fingers crossed that this does better than Mulan's did, at least critics-wise. Um, if at the very least, you know, hopefully we're back to normal in the box office by the time that comes out, which I estimate uh, will probably be uh, late next year. Uh, I think it's pushed back as I predict. Uh, with that, this is the end of the Box Office Watch podcast. Um, I don't know what we're going to cover next week, to be honest, given we don't have any new releases coming for several months. So I guess we'll be limbo up to them. Uh, Suit me ideas for what I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play as well. If you leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on Podchaser, that would be super helpful. I'll include those links in the show notes. Numbers used in this show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. Find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this is in the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on.